Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Today's message was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie on May 16th, 2021, during our Sunday evening service. If you have never joined us in person, we would love to see you here. Our services are Sunday at 10.30 a.m., Sunday at 7 p.m., and Wednesday at 6.45 p.m. Thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. Father, uh, it has been good to meet together with brothers and sisters today, to worship together, uh, to sit under your Word together. Father, I pray as we go back to your Word now, God, that your Spirit would have free reign in each of our hearts God, that you would anoint uh, me, your messenger, and this uh, message from your word, God, that we would come away today, God, with a deeper appreciation for your word, but God, for the God of the word, and for how you have given us such an incredible gift uh, in the word of God and in the prophecies of God. And so, Father, open our hearts to understand and open our hearts to apply and to obey Uh, the truths that we're going to see tonight. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to go back with me where we started last week to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Prophecy can be puzzling. You open the box... And you dump out the contents, and there are a lot of pieces of the future that are given to us in this box. But there's no picture on the box to tell us how all of the pieces are supposed to fit together. You have to really look at the individual pieces to be able to understand how things fit together. And because of that, there is a lot of disagreement on how certain pieces fit together. Now, when you're teaching a child how to put a puzzle together, if it's a traditional rectangle or square, or even if it's a circular puzzle, how do you, how do you generally teach a child to start to put a puzzle together? You work from the outside in, right? You find the edges, those corners, if it has corners, and you start with what you know. You start with what you know, and then you begin to fill things in and see how things fit together. And as I said this morning, we can't force things to fit together to fit our understanding, but we need to fit our understanding to put things together the way God has designed them to go together. And sometimes we don't have all the pieces yet. Sometimes we don't have all the pieces. Moses didn't have all the pieces that Paul had. Isaiah didn't have all the pieces that Peter had. And so we have to understand the Bible uh, has been revealed over the course of time to us, but I guarantee you that all of the pieces are true and all of the pieces do actually fit together. And so what we're going to look tonight as we've been looking in this series at some things that we can know to help us to understand some things that we have a hard time understanding or, or have a hard time agreeing on. So a few truths by way of review that we've seen. Number one, prophecy is a promise. 
Prophecy is a promise. Fulfilled prophecy is a testimony of how God keeps his promises. And we look at how God has kept his promises so that we can look ahead to the promises yet to be fulfilled. And we can say, well, we know God will keep these promises because of how he's already kept those promises. And God gives us these promises to comfort us, to display his power. He does it to warn his enemies, to submit to him, to humble themselves, to repent. And ultimately, to bring glory to His Son, Jesus Christ, because the testimony of Jesus, Revelation 19 says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus. So prophecy is a promise. We've also learned in this series that prophecy is a proving ground. It's a place that God proves Himself to us. But it's also a place that God tests us to prove our faith in him, to prove our obedience to him, to prove our love to him. Now, these passages are so critical. These are foundational passages in the word of God that tell us how we must approach prophecy. These you could call these two of the corners of the of the picture. Okay, two of the ways that God tells us we need to be able to put prophecy together. And so we looked at these passages last week. Let's look at them again. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the word of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you, he's testing you, to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put away or put the evil away from the midst of thee. Now jump over again to Deuteronomy chapter 18, another corner of the puzzle, so to speak. Another key passage. We looked at this last week. Let's look at it again. Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning in verse 17. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren. Notice, uh, if your Bible is like mine, prophet there is capitalized because the prophet he is speaking here of is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, Moses, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou shalt say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing followeth not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. So prophecy is a proving ground. That means prophecy must be provable. It must be 100% accurate in order to believe that it is from God. It must also be testable. In in other words, the message itself must be tested. Even if a prophecy is shown to be true and shown to be of a supernatural source, that doesn't mean automatically 
that it's from God because there are two sources of the supernatural in this world. There is the Holy Spirit and there is the Spirit of Antichrist and all the spirits that work for Him. And that's why the Apostle John in 1 John 4 says, test the spirits to see whether they be from God. So a prophecy must be provable, it must be testable, and we have to again understand that it may be temporarily indecipherable. We may not have a complete understanding, even though we have the pieces, we may not have the capacity to put the pieces together just yet, because some prophecies, Daniel 12 tells us, will not be understood or be able to be understood until they are about to be fulfilled. Because certain world events have not yet taken place. And certain, we think the piece fits over here. But as we get closer to the event, we see, oh, no, no, that didn't fit there at all. It fits on this piece of the puzzle. Now, we saw also last week and spent a lot of time looking at the fact that God's word will not return void. This is the promise of Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And so whether God is sending it out as a light, Peter in, in 2 Peter chapter 1 says that prophecy is a light. It gives us a, a, a picture of where we're headed. And that is good news for those of us who are in Christ, and it is a warning, like a lighthouse shining light on the rocks to those who are headed for disaster to turn and repent before it's too late. Whether it's used as a fire to fuel or a fire to destroy, whether it's sent as a sword to, des to destroy the enemies without or to destroy the enemies within, whether it's used as a nail to hold us where we need to be or a goad to get us there, God's Word will always return and accomplish what it is set out to accomplish. And the reason for that is Isaiah 46.10. God is able to declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Sometimes we think of God in temporal terms. Now, God communicates us in, in time and space, okay? I want, I'm trying, let's try to stretch our brains a little bit tonight, all right? I don't want to give you a headache, but God exists outside of time and space. God does not experience time sequentially the way that we experience time. This, then that, then that. God is, God is not speaking in eternity past going, here are all the things that I'm going to do in the future. God exists outside of time and space. And the reason that God is able to declare the end from the beginning is not because he has written a script and we're all just playing it out. It's not because he set up a big domino set and he's just, when he said in, in Genesis 1, let there be light, that the dominoes just started to drop that he'd already set up. God exists outside of time and space. God is experiencing the future and experiencing time, time and space in a way that's completely foreign to the, to the way that we experience time and space. And that's not possible for us to completely understand. Remember, Ecclesiastes 3 says that God has set the world, or, or He set eternity in our hearts. We have a concept of eternity. But because of sin, Solomon says, God has not given us the capacity to understand it. 
And so we come into the world and we have a sense of immortality. We don't feel like we're going to die, when, especially when we're younger, right? We, we act as if we're going to live forever. But there is a reason for that, and it's more than just youthful naivety. That's hardwired into our soul. We know that we're not designed to die originally. We know that that's unnatural to us. It's why there is grief and why there is a, a, a death where is thy sting, O grave, where is thy victory promise. Because we know innately that we're created to live beyond death and to live past death. But see, God isn't bound to time and space the way that we are. And so we, there are some things that we have to accept on faith. Prophecy is a test of faith. Now tonight, we're going to continue this subject of, of proving prophecy. Last week, we looked at the statements. Hey, we have to be able to prove it. We have to be able to test it. Tonight, I want to spend a few minutes talking about how we do that and showing you from the Scriptures how we do that. I want to talk to you about the integrity of prophecy, and I want to show you something amazing from God's Word tonight that God has already solved some of the problems and challenges that are brought to the subject of prophecy. I want to show you how God's already solved those problems. Now, here's what I'm talking about when I talk about prophetic challenges. We're going to look at two of them tonight. For sake of time, we're going to look at just a few examples of prophecy in the Scriptures. We'll, of course, Lord willing, be looking at more over the course of the next few weeks. But here's the first challenge. Someone might say, now wait a second. You said that prophecy is supposed to be provable. Well, how do you prove a prophecy that's not fulfilled yet? How do you prove a prophecy that's thousands of years in the fulfillment? So the challenge is, well, you can't really prove a prophecy of a distant future event because you can't yet test that for 100% accuracy. Now, that would seem like a pretty good challenge, but let me tell you, God's already given us a solution in the Word. And, and here's the solution. Solution number one. In the Scriptures, and I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. I want to show you an example of this. In the Scriptures, the Lord sometimes gave prophecies simultaneously so that a near fulfillment of prophecy, or what some people call a partial fulfillment, I, I prefer the term progressive fulfillment, validates the future fulfillment. I'm, I'm going to illustrate this for you, but let me, let me say it again. The Lord sometimes would give more than one prophecy at the same time so that one of the prophecies could be fulfilled in the near future and with the fulfillment of the near future prophecy, you can know, okay, that's evidence that God's going to fulfill the one that's thousands of years in the future. Or a prophecy would be fulfilled in stages. And every time, it's not that God failed to fulfill the prophecy, it's that he fulfilled this part of the prophecy here, and then he fulfilled this part of the prophecy here. And we don't look at that and go, oh, well, God didn't keep his word. No, we look at that and we go, oh, God is in the process of keeping his promise but he's just doing it little by little. Now, I want to illustrate this from God's Word with one of the more famous prophecies in all of Scripture, a prophecy that some of us have memorized even without trying because we talk about it every Christmas. 
Isaiah chapter 7, the prophecy of the virgin who will conceive and will bring forth a son. And so I want to break this prophecy down. Let's, let's read these verses together. Uh, verses, we'll start it with verses 1 through 9. And I want you to see the context of this incredible prophecy, this incredible promise, because it's going to show us how God validated, even in the uh, giving of this prophecy, that it would be fulfilled and we can know it would be fulfilled. First of all, in verses 1 through 9, the prophetic warning. Let's read these verses together. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up towards Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. Now remember, this is at a time when the nation of Israel has been divided. There's a northern kingdom, which is ten tribes, and then there's the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin. And Israel, the northern kingdom, which had uh, almost exclusively wicked kings. Uh, Ahab had a few years of repentance there. We talked about that a few months ago now. But for the most part, all of the kings of Israel were, for the most part, wicked. And most of the kings of Judah, tragically, were also wicked or had seasons of wickedness. And yet God was faithful to his promises to Israel and to the house of David in Jerusalem. So verse 3, the Lord said unto Isaiah, go forth now to meet Ahaz thou and Shear Jashub, Shear Jashub thy son. Now, we don't see this here, but Jashub is a little kid. He's a, he's a, if not a baby, he's a toddler. He is a little, young, very young child, probably I don't know exactly, I don't want to guess exactly how old he is, but he's very, very young, as we're going to see in just a moment. So he's taking a small child with him as an object lesson for the prophecy that he's about to give, which to me would seem to to indicate that this is a, a fairly young child. So he takes his young child, Shear Jashub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of Fuller's Field, saying to him, saying to the king, So here you are holding your baby, your child, your young child. Take heed, be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted of the two tails of these smoking firebrands for the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria, the son of Ramalia. Listen, they're they're smoking firebrands. Why does a firebrand smoking? It's burning, but it's not going to burn for very long. It's going to be put out, and and when you put it out, there's a lot of smoke, right? God's saying, don't be all, all upset about these smoke and firebrands because in a moment, all that's, that's all they're going to do is be smoking because I'm going to put them out. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramalia have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, let us go up against Judah and vex it and let us make a breach thereunto for us. Set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabil. Listen, conspiracies against Jerusalem are ancient and nothing new. And God will continue to be faithful to keep his promises to the city of David. Thus saith the Lord God, verse 7, It shall not stand, and that is their counsel against Jerusalem, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within three score and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. 
And the head of Samaria is Ramaya's son. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. So, here's the warning. King, Rezin, Prince, Pika have 65 years. And I'm going to take care of them, God says. In 65 years, these people are not going to be a threat. And King Ahaz, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe this promise, I'm not going to establish you. I'm not going to establish you. So here we have, we talked last week about conditional prophecies. Here's a conditional prophecy. You have a choice, Ahaz, you can believe me or not. If you believe me, I'll establish you. If you don't believe me, I'm, going to, I'm still going to fulfill my promise, but you're not going to be established either. Okay? So we have a short-term prophecy given. Within 65 years, everybody's going to be able to know whether this is true or not. And guess what happened? God kept his promise. So, so because God kept the short-term prophet, prophecy, the Jews should have believed the next prophecy to come. The hundreds of years of prophecy. This 65-year prophecy, I'm going to put my stamp on that. And when I fulfill that, you're going to know that this other, because this other one's a big one. This other one's an amazing one. So I'm going to give you this short-term prophecy to prove the long-term. Here's the prophetic promise. Verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz thought he would be holier than God. God wants me to ask him for a sign. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to test the Lord. I'm not going to. Well, no, God told you to ask for a sign. I'm not going to tempt the Lord. Well, verse 13, and he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? God says, I'm tired of you. Now, God is very patient with us, isn't he? But don't test his patience. Don't, pet, don't test his patience. Ahaz tested his patience. God says, uh, yeah, I've had about enough of you. So the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, pay attention, Ahaz. A virgin shall conceive. Now that is a poor translation from the Hebrew because it should say the virgin shall conceive. That's going to be important in a moment. And bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Now, the prophecy changes here. Remember, he's holding a child, and he's making a prophecy about another child. So don't let the wording, because remember, we're dealing with, one of the challenges that we face is that we're dealing with a book that's been translated into English, and sometimes we miss some of the nuance of the original language. So don't miss the fact that Isaiah is standing there with a child, talking about a future coming child. Behold, pay attention, the virgin shall conceive, bring forth a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel. He's talking about a son that's not been born yet. But then he starts to talk about his own son, and he says, Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil, choose the good. Talking about the future child. Now he talks, verse 16, about his own child. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. The Lord shall bring upon thee and upon thy people and upon thy father's house days that have not come from the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, even the king of Assyria. 
So we have this prophetic promise. Ahaz refused to ask for a sign, but God says, I'm going to give you one anyways. And by the way, it's going to be a repeat of a prophecy I've already given you. The virgin shall conceive. Now, the virgin here, Ha'alma, must be a reference to Genesis 3.15. Because Genesis 3.15 is where God made that very first promise. By the way, in in a week or two, we're going to take a deep dive into Genesis 3.15. We've talked about it before, but but I want to show you just how fascinating that single verse is and how many prophecies are are embedded like a diamond. When you turn that verse around, you see all these prophecies, many of which have already been fulfilled just in that short verse. But the virgin will conceive. God Himself will be born. Emmanuel. Now, here's the judgment that's coming. Ahaz rejected God's warning, so God's judgment would fall before Isaiah's son was old enough to discern right from wrong. So obviously we know he's a very small child at this point. You know, my, my child's already uh, getting a pretty good grasp on knowing uh, the difference between right and wrong, and he's not even five yet. Now, uh, we, you know, he's not, he, he hasn't reached the age where he really understands the gospel, where he really understands uh, the sinner, uh, the fact that he's a sinner, as far as we can tell, uh, he hasn't reached that age yet, but He hasn't reached that complete age of accountability uh, yet as far as we can discern. But nevertheless, he's already getting a grasp on right and wrong. So this is a small child that Isaiah is holding here. And he's saying, look, I'm telling you, before my kid is able to discern right from wrong, you're going to know that judgment is is going to fall. Now, uh, if you're interested in what that judgment looks like, you can go ahead and read down through the entire rest of the uh, chapter, but essentially it comes, verse 24, arrows and bows, men shall come hither, all the land shall become briars and thorns. This is a prophecy of judgment. But notice, I want to show you something. There's also a a third prophecy here, and it's embedded in the text. It's hidden in the name of Isaiah's child. Shir Jashub means a remnant shall return. Now, I want you to think about that because here God specifically told him, take this child whose name means a remnant shall return with you when you pronounce judgment. Because there's also a promise that you're holding as you're pronouncing judgment. Yes, God is going to judge the nation of Israel because of their rejection of Messiah. This child who's going to be born... Emmanuel, God with us, is going to be rejected. We can read about that as we get farther into Isaiah, right? He would be wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace would be upon him, but by his stripes we'll be healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah said. We have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And yet, a remnant shall return. He's holding a prophecy in his son's name. In his hand. See, the Lord will give prophecies in the Bible simultaneously so that when one of them is fulfilled, you know the next one's going to be fulfilled. Now, listen. Behold, the virgin did conceive, and she did bring forth a son, and he is God with us. 
and he lives inside of us. If, you, if you've trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have been born again. You have the Spirit of Christ. This is a great mystery, Paul says. Christ in you, the hope of glory through the person of the Holy Spirit. He's inside of you. And if we know that that prophecy was fulfilled, we should have known that the remnant would return. And lo and behold, 1948, as Isaiah prophesied in chapter 66, in a single day, the nation was reestablished. See, prophecies given together so that you can put the pieces together so you can know and validate this is a prophet of the Lord. Now, that's the first solution to the problem. Here's the second solution. And we see it in the child, right? We see it in the name of Shir Jeshub, Isaiah's son. Here's the second solution. The Lord sometimes uses symbolic fulfillments, not as a replacement of the literal fulfillment, okay? Not to replace a literal fulfillment, but to validate a literal future fulfillment. So prophecy is promise, prophecy is proving ground, prophecy is also, number three, pattern. And what you will sometimes see is God working through symbolic patterns in the Scripture. Now, for sake of time, let me give you a few examples, one of which we've already looked at together as a church just a few months ago, the Isaiah prophecy of Malachi chapter 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. The very last prophecy in the Old Testament, Elijah will come again. John the Baptist was the symbolic fulfillment of that prophecy. Now in John chapter 1, they asked John the Baptist, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. He wasn't lying. He's not. The literal fulfillment. But remember when Peter, James, and John were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw Moses and Elijah in some way, in some form, in a vision. They saw them and as they're coming down the mountain, Peter says, hey, uh, Jesus, how can people say Elijah has to return? Why do people take that so literally? Remember what Jesus said? Elijah is coming and has come. The symbolic fulfillment of John the Baptist is not a replacement for the promise of Elijah. It's a symbolic validation that, yes, Elijah is coming. We don't give up on the idea that Elijah is coming back before the great and terrible day of the Lord because John the Baptist has symbolically fulfilled that. Rather, we look at the symbolic fulfillment and we go, ah, now we know that we have a validation of Malachi's prophecy. We see this also, for example, in the prophecy of Hosea chapter 11.1. Hosea 11.1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. God said that one of the ways that you will identify my son is that he will come out of Egypt. Now, Symbolically, as the seed of Abraham, he came out of Egypt way back in Genesis when Abraham came out of Egypt. And then he came out of Egypt again in the Exodus. 
And he came out of Egypt again in the Septuagint, which was the first time that the Bible was translated into another language. The Bible of the early church. The Bible of the apostles. The Old Testament translated into Greek. And we know from uh, many of the passages that quote the Old Testament that the apostles, the book of Hebrews, other places were quoting from the Septuagint. It came out of Egypt hundreds of years before Messiah was born and Messiah was taken to Egypt. And yes, Jesus, his son, literally came out of Egypt. Matthew 2.15, Matthew wants us to know Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. See, prophecy is a pattern. And sometimes things will repeat, themes will repeat in history, not as a replacement for a literal fulfillment, but as a reminder that the literal fulfillment is coming. And so we have to be careful that we don't say, well, that's just symbolic. It may be symbolic, but that doesn't mean we throw out the literal hope and the literal promise. Prophecies of distant future events can't always yet be tested. And so God has given some prophecies simultaneously and some symbolically. Now let me cover one more challenge tonight. We'll cover this one a little more quickly. Challenge number one, distant future events can't yet be tested. No, God's taking care of that. Here's challenge number two. Well, prophecies are merely instructions to tell people what they need to do so that they can say, well, God did it. In other words, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, so then I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to say, look what God said was going to happen. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying here? The challenge that people give to prophecy, well, that, that's just man-made fulfillment. That's a self-fulfilled prophecy, so to speak. Solution number one. God says, I'm going to make promises that are humanly impossible to keep. I'm going to go big on my promises. I'm going to go big. I'm going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to make you some predictions and some guarantees and some promises that are so complicated and so big and involve so many different nations so far in advance that there's no way that human beings could orchestrate or achieve it. At some point, we'll walk through the prophecies of Daniel together. We're not going to take the time to do that tonight. But the prophecies of Daniel are so specific that some people have, in, in dismay, have thrown up their hands and said, well, it had to have been written after the fact. There's absolutely zero evidence for that. In fact, there's a tremendous overwhelming evidence that that's completely nonsense. But that's how specific the prophecies of Daniel are. Daniel prophesied the rise of Alexander the Great. He prophesied that he would die soon and that he wouldn't have an heir and that his kingdom would be divided. Prophesied exactly how that would happen. There's no possible way that any Illuminati or any group of human beings trying to rule the world could orchestrate all of that with such specificity. And if they could, why would they? Why would they try to validate God's word? No, there are humanly impossible. Here's one, the crucifixion and resurrection. You want to talk about a prophecy that is humanly impossible to orchestrate and fulfill? The resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. Jesus told us in the Old Testament how he would die, how long he would stay dead, 
and that he would rise again literally and physically. And guess what? He fulfilled those prophecies. And then one I've already mentioned, Isaiah chapter 66. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Listen to what Isaiah says. I'm going to, this is God speaking. I'm going to reconstitute my nation in a single day. And then the birth pangs will come. I'm going to give birth to the nation before the birth pangs. Then the birth pangs will come. Friend, we're living in the fulfillment of that prophecy today. The prophecy of the rebirth in a day has been fulfilled in 1948. We are now living in the birth pangs. And they're getting closer, and they're getting closer, and they're getting more intense, and they're, they're lasting longer. And we are living it today by what we see happening in Israel today. Jesus is coming back very soon. How do I know that? Because of all the promises that have led up to this. This day, I don't know how long we have. I don't know how long we have. I'm not setting a date. I'm not say, Some people are saying, well, it's by 2030. I, listen, I don't know. I'm not setting a date. Everybody that said a date's been wrong. I'm not going to add to the list. Here's what I do know. God has made promises that are humanly impossible to fulfill, to prove. These are not just man-made fulfillments. Here's solution number two, and we'll get more into this, I think, next week. Solution number two is that God sometimes embedded hidden prophecies, symbolic prophecies into the text. Some of them are only understood in hindsight. Jonah was a prophecy. Three days in the belly of the whale. Jesus said, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That was a mystery until Jesus revealed, hey, by the way, that was a prophecy. That was a prophecy it's symbolically embedded into the, the text, a real event, historical event, that was symbolically picturing the fact that I would be in the ground for three days. Abraham and Isaac, we, we saw last summer, Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice. And when he raised that dagger to slay his own son, Hebrews 11 says that he was so confident in the promise of God that he knew, even if I kill him, God has to raise him from the dead to fulfill his promise to me. That's how much Abraham believed God. And when God saw that, he said, I see your faith. But God was doing more than testing there. God was painting a picture of what he would do in sending his son. And when God brought the dagger down, he didn't stop his hand. He slew his own son for you and for you and for you and for me. And then he raised him up to keep his promise to all of us. A symbolic prophecy. And so this is prophecy as picture. Sometimes we're going to look at some prophecies in the Bible that are pictures. They give us that snapshot. They don't show us the entire puzzle box picture 
of how everything fits together, but they show us how this little picture fits together inside of the bigger puzzle. God has solved any problem that we can come up with to attack his word. God already has the problem solved. Prophecies can be tested. They're not man-made. And so remember what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, despise not prophesying. Don't let the complexity scare you away from the beauty of the picture. Don't let the complexity scare you away from finding out what God's promises are and living by faith in them. Don't despise prophecy. Prophecy is promise. Prophecy is proving ground. And prophecy oftentimes in the Scripture is pattern and picture. All to display the power of God. All to give us the testimony of Jesus. Would you stand as we close in prayer and in a hem of invitation. We won't prolong the invitation tonight, but I do want to give you time to respond. If you have a need, if you have a decision to make, the altar is open. Our deacons will be here. Father, may we, God, give you praise and glory for the incredible gift of prophecy, which gives us hope in Jesus Christ, which gives us hope that no matter how bad things get around us, Father, The kingdom is coming. The king is returning for us, his bride, the church. And Father, we can live victoriously in hope because of this great gift of prophecy. Father, may we engage with the gift of the promises you've given us and be driven to further glorify you and obey you and love you because of it. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.